0: So we uh, have been walking through a a series called Further Up, Further In, and we're studying the Psalms of Ascent. They were these songs that basically pilgrims would sing as they were going into Jerusalem to worship. And what we're going to see as we kind of go through this over the next few months is sometimes they were songs of praise and victory. Sometimes, as we'll see today, the Psalms today, they were Psalms of Lament. They are in a tough season. Sometimes they were psalms that included confession because they had really blown it and they needed mercy and forgiveness. And I don't know, it's just encouraging to me that you had all these different life situations that they were able to sing as they were going to worship. And here's why I say this before I wanted to have a time of prayer is that in this room, we have over a hundred people and all kinds of different situations over this past week. And I want each of you to know you have a place here because Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave no matter what you've been going through this past week, you can come in here today and lift up a form of worship wherever you're at in life. So with that in mind, let's pray together. In fact, maybe even just now as you're closing your eyes, just think over your past week. Sometimes, I don't know about you, but when I come into worship, I can just kind of rush in and get going. And maybe let's just for a second have kind of a reflective heart. And think over this past week or just the season of life you're in now? Are are you coming in here today praising because of a great week or a great thing that's happened? Um, Are you coming in lamenting because something hard has happened in your life or the clouds came back? (laughs) Are you coming in with just a, a sense of confession and contriteness because of something you did over this past week and the guilt of that is just lingering over you? kind of that or anything in between, anything else. Just get it in your mind and your heart right now. And then however you want to, just right now take a moment and just imagine yourself giving that to God. And maybe it's a, a prayer of God forgive me. And you just receive that forgiveness so that you can be here and be focused knowing that God is welcoming you here. Maybe it is a lament, maybe it's a praise, just give it to him. And so now, God, we, we love you. We thank you that you welcome us into your presence. You're a God who is great and greatly to be praised. And I love the fact that because of Jesus, we can come in here, despite all that's happened this past week and come in worshiping you. And so, Lord, I pray now that as we continue on and as we get into your word, you would give us a hunger and a desire. I love that Pete talked about that last week. Would you, Lord, help us now to lean in and anticipate what you have to say to us, and may we continue to worship you as we do. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Well, feel free to have a seat. Well, before we actually get to that time in the Word, just wanted to share a few announcements and a few heads up. If you're new and you haven't had a chance to meet me or some of the staff around here, my name is Paul, and I get to serve as one of the pastors here. We're already off to a way better start than last week because last week I introduced myself by the wrong name. And if you weren't here, that did happen. I said, My name is Pete, and he was actually another guy on staff that was getting ready to preach, and it was really awkward. And so we're already off to a way better start for me this week. All right, good, good going here, Paul. Almost called myself Pete again right there because I was getting tongue-tied again. But hey, I am Paul, and it's just a great, a great uh, time together that we're having already. If you are new, we would love to meet you and love to get to know your name and your family's names. The best way to do that is there's a connect card that's in front of you in the pew. Just take one of those, write some information down. Then you'll, as you're going out today in the foyer, see a little thing that says connect center. Drop it off there. We have a gift for you if you're visiting with us, and just again, just like to get to know you a little bit. Also, as I'm about to talk about some next steps that you can take here in a few minutes, even if you've been here for a while, you can use the Connect card to do that as well. Um, Before we get into those, though, I just wanted to highlight just some awesome things we have. If you have a program, you can pull it out. If not, you can get it on your way out today. In this kind of middle tab, we have a lot of upcoming events. that This wasn't even originally going to be an announcement, but I was looking through this. I'm like, oh, we have some great stuff coming up. Like yesterday, we had a women's kind of meetup gathering. um, It was awesome uh, from what I heard about great conversation. Also awesome because my wife brought me some Chinese dumplings from it. Um, if you've never had the Dumpling Girls over by kind of Goods Local Nursery, it's amazing if you love Chinese, and so I'm very thankful for the women's event, even though I was not there yesterday, because I got good dumplings from it. We've got Welcome to Redeemer coming up uh, next week. If you're new with us, this is the best way to have a dialogue just about what we're about as a church, and maybe if you could be a, like, if you would love to be here with us. We have a student retreat coming up in August. We have our first ever kids camp. Like, guys, that, we haven't really recognized it enough, I feel like, it's like, for when I first got here a year ago, all the like moms and even some of the dads were like, can we have like something for the kids during the summer? And we're going to have our first one ever in August. Like, yes, it's going to be awesome. So we have some great meetups coming up, like this week, where I think we're going to do ice cream for, for kids that are going to the sixth grade and their families. We have some great stuff. Here's what I want you to know. For all that stuff, if you want more information and details, go to our website and either go down to the bottom of the page or to the events page on the web- website, and that'll tell you more. Well, I, I mentioned earlier, we're in a series called Further up, further in. And really, for us, this is what we kind of say is a discipleship series. It's a series where we're just learning what it means and looks like to walk with Jesus in our daily lives. And we wanted to give you some tools and some ways to help you just do that better. The first one I wanted to highlight for you, there's something we call a PDP. That's a personal discipleship plan. Um, actually, if you go also in your program, there's a little QR code that here in a minute you can scan and find out more about this. But he, here's what this is. It's the best tool we have for the most important thing, which is us gradually, by God's grace, becoming more like Jesus. So a discipleship plan is basically this plan that we learn how to learn from, live for and lead others to Jesus. And as we do that, we become more like him. But what we've learned is it's better to have a plan than just half haphazardly go about it. So we literally have a template that you can use to grow in your relationship with Jesus. We have some back in the back at the Connect Center, but again, you can actually scan this if you want a digital copy and find out more about it. We just thought this would be a good season, kind of in the middle of the year, that if you already had a PDP, maybe you could go back to it And just remind yourselves of some of the things that you really wanted to do at the beginning of the year that you committed to. If you've gotten off track or you want to refresh it, now is a great time. In fact, last week Pete gave us a challenge to memorize three of the Psalms of Ascent that we're going through. Maybe you can fill that in. Um, I'm going to talk here in a minute about a great way to get in community. So when you get to that section of the PDP, you can do that. And then just as a heads up, like on the PDP, it talks about, hey, how do you want to serve your church family? And starting next week and for the next three or four weeks, we're going to give some specific needs that we have going into the fall. So just encourage you, fill out a PDP or refresh it, but just know that these are some things we're doing this season that you can help fill you in as we get there. Cool? Awesome. On that note, though, one awesome thing of community that we do that we did want to highlight today is something called DGs. So we do GCs and DGs. I know all the acronyms we use here, like PDP, GCs, DGs, like it can get confusing. So GCs, gospel communities, are groups of 15 to 30 people. Co-ed, some do a Bible study, some get together and have a meal every couple of weeks and do more of a time of fellowship. Great way to initially find your people Redeemer. DGs, discipleship groups, are three to five people. Gender specific, so men with men, women with women, more for the purpose of accountability or in depth um, discipleship and Bible study. Uh, Pete was originally going to do the announcements, but unfortunately he got sick, and so he's not able to make it today. So he sent me this story that someone shared about uh, their DG and, and just how, it me- how much it means to them Um, that says this, Naomi and I decided to start a DG Bible study during a season when I was expecting baby number three, and she was preparing to move across the world for missions work. We rounded up a group of ladies who didn't know each other and started studying 1 Peter. I wasn't sure how it would go leading a group in this busy season of life. The week my daughter was born, which was only our fourth time meeting, Naomi was going to lead our study, but she became ill at the last minute and couldn't lead either. These ladies still gathered themselves, one volunteering to host and another to facilitate the discussion. I was so impressed with her commitment to study God's Word together, and that's when I knew everything would be okay. There's something about studying the Bible with others, even people you don't know very well, that creates instant and strong connections. This fall, we're going to dive into the book of Judges together. I'm so excited to study this tricky and often avoided book to learn and see together how it points us to Jesus. And so that's just one testimony uh, from people that are already in one. Here's the next step that we're going to ask all of you to take, or at least if, if DG is something that you want to be a part of. Go to that uh, QR code. If you're already in one, just let us know, and let us know you're already meeting. We'd love to come around you and see anything you need. If you're not in one, but would love to get into one, all you need to do is go to that Connect card that I mentioned earlier that's in front of you, write down DG on it, and drop it off at at the Connect Center, and we'll help you get in one. Cool? Awesome. Thanks for listening to me for a few minutes. Let's take a few minutes now to stand up and greet each other, and then we'll dive into God's Word together here in just a few minutes. Oh, yeah, it's to see good to see you. You know? All right. It's always so good just to... Uh Hear the energy in the room and talking. hope you guys had a good time connecting with people. Um, we said this last week, but just encourage you also as we have these times as we're gathering before that if you see someone you don't know, just feel free to always introduce yourselves and just say, hey, how long have you been coming to Redeemer? And uh, you'll hear anywhere from, hey, 15 years or like one of the original people to, you know, this is our first time. So just encourage you as we're doing this, like always connect with people you know, but hey, let's also let this be a family that welcomes in new people. And you guys have been do- doing so great at that. We just want to encourage you to continue to do it. Well, as we get going to God's Word, uh, I was thinking this morning as I looked at our psalm, I was reminded of a sermon that I used to actually preach for summer camps. I've worked with summer camps for teenagers for about seven or eight years. And one particular summer, there was uh, a sermon that I needed to preach, felt compelled to preach, and because it was the topic of one day's study was on the topic of forgiveness. And that night as I was preaching, I just kind of laid out um, how we process forgiveness as Christians. And I I took us actually started in the Psalms, not with the Psalm we're doing today, but a different one. Um, Also was a Psalm of Lament, like the one that we're doing today. And just talked about how God wants us just to pour our hearts to him. But then I went to the the New Testament and showed how, because Jesus died on the cross for our sins, not only are we forgiven, but we can forgive those around us. But what I did at the end of that sermon, is I just challenge students that if they had ever been hurt, and really adults as well, that if they'd ever been hurt by someone or betrayed or they needed to forgive, just to come forward and just to pour out their hearts to God on these cards. And we didn't know them on a cross, and I'm not like making fun of that, but I know that's kind of a typical thing you do at a camp. We just kind of left them up front. And I just remember the first week that we did this, I wasn't sure what to expect. As, as a preacher, when you ask people to come forward and do that, you're, you're, it makes you a little nerve-wracking because I'm like, if no one comes forward, this is going to get really awkward kind of a thing. But the second I got that invitation, literally, I'm not exaggerating, hundreds of students and adults just started coming up and writing things down. And... Just pouring out the hearts of God and I, I just I remember, I'll always remember just the sound of the weeping that was in the room. The the first week I took those cards and I burned them as, as a symbol, just to kind of kinda everybody was saying, Hey, you've let these things go. And now they don't have to control you. The bitterness of these things don't have to control you anymore. But then starting the second week and then on, when I would do that sermon, I actually kept the cards. And over the years, um, I would revisit them and read them just to remind myself of things that people would walk through. And I I remember the first time I read these cards, I, I was just devastated. I would read anything from, oh, I forgive my parents for abusing me, to I forgive my best friend for betraying me. I forgive my husband or my wife for an affair. Just anything and everything between. Some huge things, some small things, but it just would break my heart the pain that people had experienced. But then I've also, over the years, I've kept letters from people who who wrote to me describing some of the things that they were going through. One one was from a friend, Amanda. She she sent me a letter when I was in seminary and basically it said, my mom just got diagnosed with cancer. And and her mom was an incredible woman of faith, was a pillar at her church, served God. and, And my friend Amanda just asked this honest question that so many people have asked, why do bad things happen to good people? And the reason I share this, both about people who had experienced things that had happened to them and then other people, Amanda and others, who have experienced just kind of the things of this world of disease and things like that, is that we are in this series called Further Up, Further In, when we're we're learning how do we walk with God through life and how do we press into God as we're walking with him through life. But inevitably, as we're walking with God through life, we are eventually going to walk through struggle and walk through sorrow it's inevitable. Uh, Maybe it's something personal in your own life that happens. Maybe someone close to you gets diagnosed with a disease. Um, Maybe it is just a struggling marriage. It feels like it's going to break. Maybe it's financial hardship. Um, Maybe it's not in your own personal world. Maybe it's just something out in the world around us. I mean, we're, we're surrounded, it seems like, the last few years, especially by so much brokenness in the world of mass shootings and of riots, of prejudice, of wars. And through life, we are going to have these moments of sorrow and struggle. And here's the choice that we're always going to be faced in those moments. Is we can be indifferent, so we can get cold and callous and be indifferent towards those things. We can withdraw from God in frustration or uh, even anger and withdraw from God, or we can press into God with our sorrow and in the struggle. And, And the beautiful thing is that God in his word has actually given us a resource to do that last thing, to press into him, even if it's pressing into him with doubts and questions and grief. And they're called the Psalms of Lament. Um, In the Old Testament, there's this book called the Psalms. There's 150 of them. And it's kind of the prayer language of the people of God. And one third of the Psalms are prayers of lament. Uh, uh, Lament biblically is just humbly but honestly coming before God and saying, here is my pain, here is my sorrow, here is my grief. And then it's vocalizing that grief to God. And saying, God, I need you to do something about it. Maybe you could even sum up lament like this. It's like, God, I know your character. I know your promises. But I also see my circumstances. And I see the brokenness of this sinful world. Help. Just do something. And it's these people who come before God and just pour out their hearts and ask him to move on their behalf. Or behalf of the people of God. Or do something in the world. And so this is a beautiful resource of us as the people of God, as we have these times of sorrow and struggle, to be able to press into God with them. And what I want us to do today is actually look at this psalm in particular, Psalm 123. You can begin flipping there if you haven't already. It'll be on the screen for you in just a minute. We're going to use this psalm kind of as a prototype. So we are going to go into some of the details of the psalm, but what I also want to do is highlight just some theological themes that are in the psalm that really are a part of almost every psalm of lament. And what I'm praying is that these would be resources for you that maybe if you are going through that struggle now and through sorrow now and you're navigating that, I'm praying this morning will be a morning of hope for you, a morning of consolation. But if you're not in here and you're not going through, I'm praying, if anything, this will just prepare you because, again, it's eventually going to come. Well, let's stand um, together and read from Psalm 123. This is God's word. The same God who spoke the universe into existence is now speaking to us through this. To you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of servants look to the hand of their master, as the eyes of a maid servant to the hand of her mistress, so our eyes look to the Lord our God till he has mercy upon us. Have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. Let's pray. Jesus, we ask that now you would speak to us, whatever our situation is in life. We ask that you would, Holy Spirit, enable us to understand your word but also then to live in light of it. May this bring hope to those who don't have any right now. And may it also maybe even just help us as a people, God, to be able to mourn with those who mourn, even if we're not personally doing that right now. Is in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, feel free to uh, have a seat again. We don't really know the full context of of what's happening here. There's different kind of debates that go on about when this was set. Some people think it was before God's people were sent into exile. Some people think it was after as they were rebuilding. But we don't know the full context of what's happening. But what we do know is that the people of God are enduring some type of Of persecution and contempt if you even go to that last few verses we see in verse three it says we've had more than enough of contempt in verse four it says we've had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease the contempt of the proud that that phrase more than enough really can mean like we are at the brink of being able to handle this so the people of God are going to God and they're basically saying, God like we're being persecuted and we can't really handle it anymore Like something's got to give, something has got to change. And so what they do, if you were looking, is really two things. They lift their eyes to God, but then they also lift their cries to God. And really, that's what we all have to do in times of sorrow and struggle is we lift our eyes and we set them upon God, but then we also, as we are doing that, freely then lift our cries of desperation, our honest cries of desperation to God, and what I want to do, though, and I kind of referred to it a minute ago, is I want to look at kind of two theological themes that undergird this text. And that allow us to lift our eyes to God and allow us to lift our cries to God. And I just want to kind of go these one by one. There are things that kind of laments remind us of whenever we're in the midst of sorrow and struggle. The first thing that laments remind us of is that God can handle any situation. Where we see this in this text, if you look to verse 1, to you I lift up my eyes, O you who are enthroned in the heavens. Another place in the book of Psalms, it talks about how God is seated in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. So when it refers to God being on the throne, the psalmist is basically saying, right, God, even though I'm in this situation where I need mercy and I've had more than I can handle, I'm to my breaking point, I know that you're still in control. I know that you're still on the throne, reigning and sovereign, even over my situation. And so because that, he is able to set his eyes on God. He says, God, I am being scorned. I have contempt. I have sorrow. But you're bigger than that. And if the psalmist were here this morning, he would look at you. Whatever situation you have gone through, are going through, or will go through, and says, no matter what it is, keep your eyes on God because he's bigger than that situation. So the psalmist, he doesn't look around him, he doesn't look below him or within him, he looks above him. Now if we are honest though, our typical response when we start going through difficult times is that's what we do, right? We look within us or maybe we look around us. So oftentimes we look within ourselves in the sense that we say, okay, I'm going through this hard time or someone I know is, the world's going hard, I've got to power through it and I can handle it on my own. Um, I've had this trouble throughout my life. In fact, I'm just, by the way, I'm just going to be pretty vulnerable this morning and share about some, some intense times of sorrow and lament that I myself have had. If nothing else, just encourage that you can be free to do the same. Um, Three times in my life, I've kind of reached a breaking point. Uh, In my teenage years, I'm going to share a little bit more here in a bit about some depression I went through. In, In my college years, I went through a season of depression. And then I'm just going to be real, I went through one about three or four months ago. Just this breaking point where I feel like, oh, I just don't know that I can go on. And there were different situations in all of them, but the common denominator in all of them is that in my life, I've kind of had this typical response of if, if my family or friends were going through something hard, or even if I was, I put on a like, beautiful red Superman cape, and I tried that like I should be the rock for my family, and I can handle it all on my own. And inevitably, what would happen is I would reach a breaking point because I would realize I am not designed to carry the struggles of the world or of others or even of myself. And that I was trying to do God's job for him. And I would say the same thing to you is that, listen, in times of sorrow and struggle, we cannot put our eyes inward on ourselves because we cannot do God's job for him. That's only gonna lead us to depression. But oftentimes it's not we don't let our eyes, our eyes on ourselves. Sometimes it, we put our eyes on the stuff around us, right? And I think in a few ways, some of the times it's just looking around at the situation and that just leaves us in despair because of the pain and the brokenness of this world. It's real and we get overwhelmed by it. Sometimes, though, we look around us for solutions. We, we look to other people and, and kind of systems in this world for solutions to the way to fix my problem or the problems of this world. Um, I, I was reminded of this recently with this movie quote from um, a movie called Network. And I want to read it for you. I thought it was just so timely for where we are right now in our world. It's gonna be a little bit of a longer quote, so we will have it on the screen, but I just thought it was so apt for where we are right now. In this scene, this guy is basically, this, this newscaster is just getting really frustrated and angry about the situation in the world, and he just starts going on this rant, and here it is. He says, I don't have to tell you things are bad, Everybody knows things are bad. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Criminals are running wild in the street. And there is nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do. And there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe and our food is unfit to eat. And we sit watching our TVs while some newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy. So we sit in the house and say, just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest. I don't want you to write. I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't even know what to tell you what to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the Russians and the crime in the street. All I know is that first you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being. My life has value. So I want you to get up now. I want all of you to get up out of your chairs. I want you to get up right now and go to the window, open it and stick your head out and yell, I'm mad and I'm not going to take this anymore. Now, if you don't know network, you're probably thinking, oh, yeah, like, did that come out earlier this year? Because that's, like, perfect for where you're at. Network came out in 1978. (laughs) Here's why I'm saying this is because think about it. Russians, inflation, crime, violence. It's been 50 years since this came out. And what do we have right now? Russians, inflation, crime, violence. And I I don't want to minimize that. My point is to say, think about the last 50 years. Both political parties of this nation have been in power at different times. Policies have been passed. Technology has advanced. Education has advanced. And yet, we're still dealing with the same stuff as half a century ago. And it's because the things of this world and the people of this world cannot ultimately solve the problems of our society or of our hearts. And listen to me, it doesn't mean we should do nothing. I'm not saying that. It just means that the ultimate solution to our problem is not looking within, and it's not looking around, it's looking up. So I love this quote um, from Corrie Ten Boom. She said, we're going to have it on the screen for you, she said, if you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look at within, you'll be depressed. If you look at God, you'll be at rest. Now, some of you, if you especially if you don't know Corrie ten Boom, and you're thinking you're about your situation right now, you might be thinking, well, that's easy for her to say. <laughs> be careful there, because Corrie ten Boom, if you didn't know, survived the Holocaust. And she wrote this afterwards. And so Corrie ten Boom is not saying, oh, don't worry about the problems of this world. They're not that big a deal. No, she had endured the greatest evil of the past centuries, maybe of all time except for the cross. And what she said is, listen, I've been through the worst that can happen. And what I learned is that if I look within, I only get depressed. If I look around the world and all the evil in it, I only get distressed. But if I actually will set my eyes not within or beside, but up towards God, even amidst the sorrow and the pain of this world, I can be at rest. Why could she be at rest? Because she knew God was in complete control, and he had the power to solve it. That ultimately when things are going wrong, we, we, we have to put our hopes somewhere, right? We have to set our eyes somewhere. And so what Corey to me was saying, set your eyes on God. He's the only one who can ultimately solve the problem. I was just thinking as a brief, a short analogy of this, that have you ever had like an issue and you had to make a phone call to like, you know, like the center where they dealt with the issues? What ends up happening is, is you get on the phone and maybe it's they've overbilled you or the service isn't what you want, or you shouldn't have got that driving ticket in your opinion or whatever it is. And so you talk to the person and eventually what do you learn? These people can't handle Handle my problem. So, what do you do? Hey, may I speak to your supervisor, right? And then, if you talk to that person and eventually you can't get anywhere, what do you do? You go up the chain of command, and you ask for that supervisor. The point of that is that ultimately we know and we need something to be solved, we need something to be fixed. We need to go to the person who actually has the power to fix it. Here's what I'm here to tell you this morning whatever you're going through in life or will go through in life, there is one who has the ultimate authority in the universe who can fix it, and that is the sovereign God. So when you're in the middle of struggle, because God can handle any situation, put your eyes on him and him alone. But now we go to kind of the second truth in the reminder is that when you look and put your eyes on God again, it's not that then he wants you to forget about the situation of this world. Because the second thing that laments remind us of is that God can not only handle any situation you're in, God can also handle your lament about any situation that you're in. So God can definitely handle any situation, but he can also handle your lament about any situation. Look back with me to the end of verse two. Because the psalmist had said, okay, to you, I lift my eyes you were enthroned in the heavens. Behold, as the eyes of the servants looked to the hand of their master, and as the eyes of a maid servant to the hand of her mistress, so her eyes looked to the Lord our God. Again, basically he's saying, okay, Like a master, all they have to do is just move their hand and relief is coming. They're looking to him. But then look where he goes on and says, till he has mercy upon us. And then he cries out, have mercy upon us, O Lord. Have mercy upon us, for we have had more than enough of contempt. Our soul has had more than enough of the scorn of those who are at ease of the contempt of the proud. So the psalmist is looking to God. He knows the answer ultimately comes from God, that if God, like the master, would just make the slightest move of his hand to him as a servant, that everything will be fixed in a heartbeat. But then as he's looking to God, he pours out his heart to God and all of his frustration to God. And I just had this thought this past week. You know, usually when we read psalms like this, we think, oh look, this person was raw with their emotion with their thoughts. And we forget though that this, the Holy Spirit is the one who inspired these words. So yes, these are the words of a person who is at their end and is expressing their raw felt emotion and thoughts to God, but these are also Holy Spirit-inspired words of God, which means this. God wanted these words in Scripture, which means that he wants your lament and he wants your cry. So God isn't not only not intimidated by any situation you've ever been in, God's never looked at a situation you're in and thought, oh, what am I gonna do here? Like he's never had that moment but he's also not intimidated or afraid of you crying out to him with your brute honesty. He's just not. And what I've learned in life, and it's because of this, is that lament, us crying out to God, is actually the way he has us cling on to him amidst sorrow and struggle. He would rather have us cling on to him in frustration than to withdraw and run away from him out of frustration. This hit home to me when I was in my teenage years. I alluded to this earlier, and I think I actually shared the story when I came on staff about a year ago, but I want to share it with you again in case you weren't there. And then also there's a, an element that I, I left out last year. Oh, when I was in my teenage years, I had a really rough kind of three-year span. Um, in the first year, my brother became severely addicted to drugs. I had to put him in rehab for about a year, and it was just really toxic and, and violent at home. He pulled a knife on me at one point. I had to pull a knife to defend myself. It was just really ugly and nasty. Um, a year later, almost around the same week or so that we had to put him in rehab, um, I lost both my uncle and my grandfather in the same week. Um, my uncle was really tough for me because he'd, kind of, he'd been a farmer, grew, grew corn. He was kind of what we refer to in the south of as a country strong kind of guy, just kind of a big burly guy. But I saw him get cancer. It spread to his brain, and it pretty much ate him away until he was nothing but skin and bones. And I just began to have these thoughts of like, okay, God, like, why? What's going on? But then a year later, again, almost to the week, uh, my mom told my family that she was leaving. And that was my breaking point. I just became so angry at the world. I became angry at my mom. But if I'm honest, I was frustrated with God. And I just remember these moments where I would just look up to God and say, God, like, you say you love me. You say you're going to take care of me. Where are you now? Like, what's going on? And I would just say, God, like, I feel like I am a toy and you're in Satan's hand and you guys are just playing with me so you see how far I can go until I break. And eventually I just said, God, that's it. I'm done. I'm done. I still believed in him. I just didn't believe he was for me. And so I went in my own way. Then I, not, I said all the enough, but actually it's not all the enough. What then happened is that's then when I really sank into the depths of depression. Because I took my eyes off of God and I turned them inward and around me. And I sank into the depths of despair to the point where I was suicidal. Now no one knew it. My dad was a pastor and I felt like even though I was actually in a great church, much like this one, there was just still something about it that I felt like I needed to wear a mask and act like everything was okay. But inside I was just dying. A few months later, I'd gotten to the point where I really was thinking about taking my own life. And my God's grace that night, I remember it vividly, I was really close and he saved me from it and I just feel like it was almost the closest like, I've ever heard to an audible voice of God where in a moment he kind of just did this lovingly smack me upside the head kind of a moment. He said, hey, we need to talk. And he just said, Paul, this whole time you've thought that I've been far away looking down at you suffering when actually I've been right here with you suffering with you. And he said, Paul, The other thing is, I want to heal you. But you got to take off the mask. You got to stop acting like you're okay. And then you also got to come back to me and press into me. And I did. And by God's grace, I'm here today because of it. But you know something I learned? And this is what I didn't share with you last year. You know one of the biggest lessons I learned from that? My biggest mistake was not that I cried out of frustration to God. It's that I ever stopped. Stopped. It's that I ever stopped going to God and saying, God, I don't, I don't get what this is. I don't get what this happened. The second I stopped was the second I then took my eyes off God, and I went my own way. God can handle your frustration. He can handle your lament. It's his way of having you cling on to him when you don't feel like you can hold on. But this kind of leads us to the question of, okay, like, that's nice, but for how long? Like, how long am I going to have to keep doing this? And actually, the text tells us in Psalm 123, and I'm just going to go and tell you, it gives us an answer, but probably not the answer we're not necessarily wanting. It says in verse 2, it's not the last verse, but I feel like in a sense, it's like the last scene of this chapter. It says this, our eyes look to the Lord our God, till when? Till he has mercy on us. And so basically saying, you got to keep looking up to God and lifting your cries to God because he can handle the situation and he can handle your lament about it. But you got to keep doing it until he answers. It reminds me of uh, Psalm 40, one of my favorite psalms in the Bible. Psalm 40 is this. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined me and he heard my cry. He lifted me up out of the pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet on a rock. He put a new song in my mouth, a hymn of praise to our God. I love that psalm because he heard the cry and lifted him up out of the pit. I hate that psalm because it doesn't say how long he waited patiently. Could have been two hours. Could have been two days, could have been two weeks, two months, two years, two decades. We have no idea how long he waited, but he kept crying out. And so God answered, and he did. It reminds me of Psalm 88, the darkest Psalm of Lament, by the way. And probably I'll, be, I'll put up there, if not, the, obviously you got the scene of the cross and Jesus dying. That's the darkest chapter of the Bible. But this would be number two for me. So basically, all throughout the Psalm of 88, God, this guy's just crying, out saying, I feel like your waves of wrath are sweeping over me. And he just felt like he was going through all this stuff. The Psalm does not end pretty. The last few words of the Psalm are, You've taken my loved ones and companions from me. The darkness is my closest friend. Imagine singing that in church, right? Like imagine like, in the darkness is my closest friend. Really awkward to come up and preach after that or to pray, right? Like that's dark. But you know what's cool about Psalm 88 is how it starts. And often when people would refer to Psalms, there weren't titles like we have today for songs. So if they wanted to refer to a Psalm, they would refer to the first verse. So the darkest lament in the Bible starts off like this. "O Lord, the God of my salvation, day and night I cry out before you. So the guy is saying, "I am in a dark place. I feel like you're against me. I feel like you're taking everybody from me. But I'm not going anywhere. I'm gonna keep coming to you until you answer." And the good news is, we have a God who will answer. We don't know how long, but we have to persist in prayer. Even this this morning, heard a great story from Diane. Um, back on Ash Wednesday, she told me about I think it was two twin girls. Is that right, Diane? I like eye contact with her right now. And two, and um, who were in the Ukraine. And just praying they could get out. But this is when so much of the war had just broken out. And we didn't know if it would be safe. So we just began praying. And she and others have been praying the last few months. Just found out today they're about to land in the United States. And they're making it. So for the last couple months, it was like, okay, God, please do something. And today was answered. Persistence in prayer. And that's what we got to have a gritty faith, everybody. Like when we're in the middle of lament, when we're in the middle of sorrow and struggle, we've got to have a gritty faith and prayer that keeps going to God and say, God, I'm going to keep coming until you answer. And He can answer. And he often does. But I need to be honest with you this morning. And this is where when I've heard sermons like this before, a lot of times the the pastor won't go to what I'm about to say. And I'm like, oh, we got to address some of this. So much of the time, he does answer. Your marriage is struggling. You pray that God would save the marriage, and he does. Someone you know has cancer. You pray that God would heal, and he does. A child is wondering the faith. You pray that God would restore him, and he does. You pray that society would change, and it does. But sometimes it doesn't happen. They die from cancer. The marriage ends. The child never comes back. Society keeps getting worse and worse. And so what, what do we do when we're in that situation? We keep praying, we keep persisting. But here's what we also have to know is that sometimes the prayer will not be answered in this world, but it will be answered. And this is where we have to remember the gospel amidst pain and suffering. You're not gonna find it in the psalm, but we need to remember that as Christians, we read the psalms through a different lens than the person, people who first read them. We have to read them through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We have to read them through the lens of the gospel. Why does that matter here? Well, let's think about it. Jesus lived a perfect life that no one else could live. He did not deserve any contempt or scorn like the people here were experiencing. But guess what? He received it. He was mocked. He was scorned. He was beaten. He was put on a cross, even though he didn't deserve it. And then he died the death that we all should die. And on the cross, what does Jesus do? He cries out in lament. He quotes Psalm 22 and says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So just as a short aside, Jesus knows how you feel. Not just because he's God and he knows, like, he has experienced it too. He lamented, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And what's interesting, though, is later in Psalm 22, it actually says that God hears the cry of the afflicted when it answers. But the thing is, Jesus then dies. You know where I believe the answer comes for Jesus? The resurrection. The resurrection. Because on the third day, Jesus rises in power. God the Father rises him in power, raises him in power. And in that moment, everything that had been done wrong to Jesus was put right. Well, here's the good news. Because Jesus was raised, guess what? We also are going to be raised. And the suffering and the sorrow and the struggle will be over forever. Forever. And that's the hope of the gospel through lament, through psalms of lament, and through times of struggle and sorrow. Listen to me. There is an expiration date on all suffering and sorrow. It's counting down to it if you are a believer in Jesus. I thought of this analogy. I've got my phone here, my iPhone. If you're an Android person or a Google phone person, I don't even know how your phone works. So you just fill it in however it works. But I've got on my phone this um, clock app. And there's actually a few different things it does. There's one thing called a stopwatch where if you can, I know it's kind of far away for a lot of you, but literally if I just start the stopwatch, it's just going to keep going and going and going. I don't know if you've ever had this happen, but like the other day I had to use my iPad because I had like this time sit-up routine that I do. I know you can tell by looking at me. That was a joke. I just made fun of it. I, I, thank you somebody for laughing because I actually thought that was pretty self-deprecating humor. On a Psalm of Lament Day, we need some times where you can laugh, especially at me. But yeah, so I opened up the iPad and it hit it had like 42 days it had been going. And I was like, oh, well, there there you go and, like, and so in other words like even right now you can see like i started and it's just going to keep going and going and going and going and going and that's how sometimes we can think of all the pain and sorrow and this brokenness of this world it's just it keeps adding up and adding up and adding up well here's the thing is for the christian that's actually not how it is there's another thing on your phone that's called a timer and when you start the timer it doesn't count up forever and ever. It actually counts down to a set period of time. So right now, this timer is counting down and counting down and counting down, and eventually it is going to hit zero, and it is going to stop. There you go. For the Christian, the sorrows of this world are not going to count up enough forever. They're actually counting down to an end. Every time I go through something hard in this life is one less thing until I get to be raised from the grave and then the stopwatch of joy is started and it goes on forever. I was thinking of a story of a guy named Levi Lusko. He's a pastor. He's become pretty well-known the last five or six years. Um, I probably think now about a decade ago, there's this tragedy where he lost his four or five-year-old daughter. I believe it was to an asthma attack. And I was listening to this interview with him, and he just talked about one of the things he was struggling as the years went on since then is he was beginning to forget what his daughter's voice sounded like. And he felt like the longer it went, the further he got away from her death, the less he was remembering of her voice and was never going to be able to hear it again. But then he realized, wait a second, it's not that he's actually getting further away from her death and from her voice, that every day that passes, he's actually getting closer to the day where he'll finally be able to hear her voice again. That's the hope of the Christian. That yes, this world is full of struggle and sorrow, but for the Christian, when we die and then we're raised from the grave, the sorrow is over forever. Jesus, the book of Revelation says, will wipe away every tear from our eyes, and then guess what? They're never coming back. It's done. But here's what I need to know, and as I was prepping, I just felt like I needed to plead though for a group of people. Um, I I think there's a few groups of people in here. One group I'll say is this, If, if you're in here and you're not a believer in Jesus, if you're not walking with Jesus through this life, everything I've just said isn't true for you. For you, it really is a stopwatch. And what I mean by that is for you, The suffering and sorrow that you're experiencing now in this world of pain and brokenness, if you're not a believer in Jesus, that will go on forever. In fact, it only gets worse because you'll be separated from God for eternity. For the Christian, this world is as bad as it's ever going to get. But for the non-Christian, this world is only as good as it's ever going to get. So if you're in here and you're not a believer, if you're listening to the podcast, if you're watching the live stream, here's what I would plead for you. Your cry for mercy to God does not need to be about a situation you're going through or a sorrow you're carrying. Your cry of mercy actually needs to be for your sin. And there's this beautiful story that Jesus tells in the Gospels about this guy who had a really, really nasty past, but he comes into the temple, kind of like I guess what we would call a church today, and it says he he can't even look to God because he has so much shame over the life he's lived, but he literally just says, have mercy upon me, a sinner. And you know what Jesus says about that guy? He says he went home justified, meaning he went home right with God. So if you're listening to me in here today or if you're listening to me on the live stream or the podcast, listen to me, if you will cry out to God for mercy, but for mercy over your sin, you can receive it today and everything can change. And all the promises I've laid out, both that God can answer in this world and give mercy and change the situation, or that one day he'll change it forever and all sorrow will be done, it can be true for you today. But first, you need to begin walking with Jesus as your first cry of mercy. Have mercy on me, a sinner, and he will. But I will say for the rest of us here that are listening, I'd say there's a couple groups of people. There's some of you that came into the room with struggle, with sorrow. And I prayed that now after hearing this text, after hearing the word today, that you will lift your eyes to God and then lift your cries to God, knowing he can handle your situation and he can handle your lament about it. And don't give up till he answers. If you're in here though and you're not walking through that, here's what I say is, listen, You're going to at some point. So I hope today you've learned. But also I would say this, we're a community of faith. And and if you didn't notice in Psalm 123, it starts with I, I lift up my eyes, but then it switches to the plural and it says we lift up. Meaning that even if we're not personally going through something hard, someone in our community is and we can lament with them. So here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to do something a little bit different. We're not going to jump right into communion today. Um, These were psalms that literally people sang out loud to express their heartfelt emotions to God. Or that maybe they prayed inwardly. And so before we go into communion, I actually want us to have a time of lament. And what what we're going to do is we're just going to sit silently. I think Corbin's going to come up here in the next few minutes. He's just going to play softly behind. And I just want to give a space that maybe you need to offer up a lament to God for something you're going through, or maybe, again, just something in the world. You, you see the stuff on social media or the TV, and it just breaks your heart. The brokenness of the world is breaking you. And you just need to offer a lament. Feel free to do it quietly, by all means. Or maybe it's not you. Maybe it's just someone you know. Feel free to offer a lament on their behalf for them. But here's what I would say. If you feel comfortable, I want to give you the freedom to offer it up loud. You don't have to. And listen, if no one does it, I'm not going to feel weird or awkward. So I'll go ahead and take the awkwardness out of the room if no one does it. But if for you, you can't keep silent, there's just something breaking you down in the world, in your life, feel free to raise up a lament to God. And so for the next couple of minutes, either quietly or out loud, let's put our eyes on God, knowing that he can handle whatever then we're going to cry out to him about. Let's just do this for a few minutes. And then after a few minutes, I'll close this time in prayer, and then I'll set up communion for us. Let's pray now to God and offer up our limits to him. (laughs) Thank you. God I want to pray um, I ask that hopefully this morning in your word would teach us or would have taught us to be good lamenters I pray God that we would now be a people who yes bring you our joy yes bring you our praise for all that you are all that you've done all that you're going to do but I also pray you would just be us make us into a people who lament well we don't just bring you the pretty parts of ourselves, but who bring our brokenness, who bring our sorrow, who bring our frustrations and doubts. And God, as we've been doing that over the last couple of minutes, I so just a few a few scriptures popping in my head. Lord, for those who lifted up situations, whether that they see in the world or in their own lives or the people they know, Lord, my mind went to that text I believe it's somewhere in Chronicles where the people of God were faced with an enemy in a hard circumstance but they just said this line that says we don't know what to do but our eyes are on you God, we don't know what to do about the stuff we see in the world I mean everything's been tried but it feels like nothing works at least for long we don't know what to do about so many of the situations we're going through and when we try it doesn't work so God now we look to you would you have mercy on our world Would you have mercy on these people about whatever situation they lifted up? Answer just how they need. But God, we are also a people who even as we're walking with you through this world, we know that this world is not our final home in the sense of the way it is now. That one day you're gonna resurrect us and you're gonna recreate this world. And so to that we look as our ultimate hope for you setting everything right, and for you ultimately answering our cries for mercy and for your kingdom come and to come on this earth. As my mind goes to Isaiah 35, God, about when that's gonna happen and how I love that we're in a Psalms of ascent of people walking the road up to Jerusalem. But Lord, we're walking right now a road to that eternal home in a recreated world. And so I just want to read this psalm, God, and for us as a people. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. The lame man shall leap like a deer, and the tongue of the mute will sing for joy. Waters will break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. A highway shall be there, and it will be called the way of holiness. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast come upon it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And this is how it ends. And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing, sighing shall flee away. And God, we long for that day. So come, Lord Jesus, and may we see it happen. And in the meantime, give us hope to keep pressing into you with our laments. Amen. Well, I want us to transition to communion and think, this is kind of a hard transition. And to me, it really isn't because every week we celebrate communion. It is the high point of our worship. But again, as I even referenced earlier, Jesus on the cross, which is what communion points us towards, he cried out a lament. And on the cross, he also did for us what we couldn't do for ourselves. And he provided a way of salvation so that we could be the redeemed people that we just read about. And so as we're about to take communion, let's just remember that Jesus knows how we feel and that not only does he know how we feel, he died in our place so that we could be in here and so that we could bring our laments to him as children of God. So here's how we've done this. If you haven't been with us before, we have juice over in this side with bread, with bread that you can uh, dip in. We have wine over in this side. Just kind of know the, the differences. We also have signs up there. Um, if you don't want to actually do that, if you want just kind of your own individual little packet, we have those to the back. But we're going to have the band just play for a few minutes. When you feel led, just go ahead and receive communion, knowing that this represents all that Jesus did for you. Feel free when you feel led.